This is Jake Brennan from Disgraceland, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts, Rockarola. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Let's go crazy diggers. All right, all right, settle down. The teacher's arrived. My name is Swain, Christian Swain, and today I am teaching rock and roll archaeology. So sit down and pay attention. There will be a quiz at the end of this lesson. Just kidding. Real quick, real quick, I, I want to introduce another new Pantheon show for you. The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, hosted by Ray Koob and Marcus Goldman. This is a podcast that was created to discuss the humongous tree of music known as rock and roll. There are thousands of branches. The history is fuzzy, scattered, known and unknown. There is so much information out there already with even more to be learned together. Everyone is going to have fun talking about uh, our mutual passion, the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Between Ray and Marcus, they have 50 plus years of rock and roll radio behind them and a thirst to know more that hasn't quenched at all. Go check out the imbalanced history of rock and roll on pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, episode 18 of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast. Huh? Yes, 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 we are still working on it, diligently, I might add, so it shouldn't be too long now. Uh, the first draft uh, of the podcast is complete, uh, deep in production, and uh, we are working on the next draft, and if all comes together, uh, we will be releasing it very shortly. I know, I know, I know, it takes so long, but... You know, we we just have to get it right. Uh, you know, we we thank you all for your patience. Expect episode 18, 1969, part one, very shortly. Okay, no new Patreon patrons this week to shout out to. But if you are interested, please head over to patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast or you can find it on our website pantheonpodcasts.com and click on the support button at the top of the page if you don't want to become a full-on patron uh, hey consider some merch at t public i'm seeing a lot of new folks with swag on our social media it's almost gift giving time um, something in there that a loved one might want? Uh, check it out. Okay, that's it. That's the biz for this week. Let's get to our special guest. Today's guest is Liv Warfield. She's a singer-songwriter with some very serious friends. If you don't know who Liv is, well, I might suggest you go watch her performance of Why Do You Lie on Jimmy Fallon from 2015. Or go on Kimmel and watch her there, Arsenio and Letterman. Go ahead. I'll wait. Done going down the rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah. Pretty incredible, huh? Kind of unexpected. Yeah, big rock and soul, big, big voice. And I say unexpected because this was the title of her last album, uh, the one that was produced by Prince before he passed in 2016. 
yeah, she's a prince protege. And now she's about to break out on her own uh, with some new singles and a new album coming in 2020. Liv has a very interesting origin story. She really didn't start singing in any kind of professional manner until she was in college. Born the daughter of a Pentecostal deacon in Peoria, Illinois, she was exposed to all the gospel music one would expect. But that wasn't her first gift. She was a born athlete. So much so, she was awarded a lucrative scholarship at Portland State University to run track. It was in Portland that on a dare, she got up at a local karaoke bar and sang Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Uh, Talk about going for the gold on your first competition. Obviously, she slayed, and after a few months of killing it on the Portland karaoke circuit, she realized that music was her true passion. So she did what any well-adjusted church-going college kid would do. She up and quit Portland State. Uh, much to the chagrin of her parents. She took it 110% serious. She literally lived and breathed music, lived in her car, relied on the kindness of strangers, did whatever it took. Sure enough, she climbed the local ladder, playing live with bands, and in 2006 released her debut album. Three years later, someone posted a video of her doing the Stones' Gimme Shelter, And then her life changed like Cinderella's. Uh, His Majesty, the Purple One, was shown the clip as he was looking for a new background singer for his new Power Generation band. He called her in for an audition, and, well, as you will hear, it was surreal and life-changing Cinderella indeed. In 2015, she released her second album that was partially produced by Prince, as I said, The Unexpected. Now, she's about to hit it again after taking time to process the death of her genius mentor and after a stint in a band she created with Nancy Wilson of Heart called Roadcase Royale. Uh, More on that in a bit. All of this is upcoming. So grab a beverage, sit back, and let's get to know the amazing Liv Warfield. Welcome to Deeper Digs and Rock, Liv Warfield. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, of course, really of course. It. Of course. And now, I, I believe you are on tour and you have been just all over the world, right? Yeah, I've been managing to stay quite busy <laughs> for the past three or four four months, um, which has been really, really great for me because I've been kind of, I've actually uh, took a long break, a much needed one to kind of clear my head and and do some other things but now it's, it's really really a good time right now yeah good 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 all right so the first serious question uh sure. because you happen to be on track for both of these careers at one time um do you think it's harder becoming a a, a rock and roll or pop star or a world-class athlete oh wow <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> um, oh good that means you, that means nobody's asked you that before no I, um I don't consider like myself as like even in that realm of pop star. Like I can't even fathom that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a good question because <laughs> <laughs> um, I love sports so much. Um, because that's really technically my first love. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a really good one. But for me, the music is I think is kind of trumped that whole thing right now. Um, so yeah. This has to be the music. 
has to be has to be the music <laughs> has to be well good well then you obviously made the right choice when you when you came to yeah, that fork in the road now, didn't you <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Uh, yeah so so you 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 grew up in the pentecostal tradition where you know music is a huge part of the the worship service so tell us how that shaped you and your musical interests well see here's the thing like i, I grew up pentecostal but i never sang in church i never did any of that stuff like my family nobody knew i could sing until i was probably 21 um i kept it hidden from everybody i just probably didn't have that courage but i'm sure and i do know that um being in church and hearing the music i was soaking it up also you know my mom put me in violin when i was like six that didn't quite work out well it worked out well for me because i was just playing i wasn't reading the notes and i should have been so i would pick it up and play it like i would hear it so you play and by then ear. they were like yeah, I totally played by ear. And mm-hmm. then that didn't work anymore because she's like, okay, Olivia, we got to <laughs> Yeah, violin, violin, you got to read the notes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like, you can only get by with this stuff so far in a Suzuki class. Like, so I think those elements really, really helped me out. Church really honed and helped me out in a good way and a bad way, only because, I, you know, I couldn't really listen to a lot of secular music. The only safe thing for me was to listen to, like, a Whitney Houston or, like, like a Paul Abdul. Like, like oh, that, it was that, just safe songs that I was, I was able to listen to. But church, really, I think, on a spiritual level for me, when I was younger, I think I was honing that already and kind of grasping that energy of it all, you know, and it definitely yeah. is something that you feel in my music. Yes, yeah, definitely. for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so gospel music, you know, was, was given to you as a birthright and whether you knew it or not. Um, but mm-hmm. what music did uh, you first call your own outside the church? The first soundtrack I bought was Rain Man. Uh-huh. And I heard that at last. Oh, and James, right. And that blew my mind because I was like, man, who is this woman who could um, just sing so beautifully, but her, just her vocal tone, it was beautiful. And then I started to really dig deep into all of all the stuff that she was doing, not just doing the, all these beautiful ballads, like Etta had this clear, all this bluesy rough oh, yeah. vocal that I was like, oh, like it blew my mind. And then, um, yeah, so Etta James really did it for me. That was my very first kind of like, oh, I'm really in love with this music thing. Like, uh-huh. I, I got to hear more. So Etta James, for sure. Wow, yeah. that's great. That's great. Well, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure you could do much better than uh, uh, <laughs> listening to Etta and, and saying, hmm, that, I, yeah. I, I might, I might I mean, be able to do something like that. You know, it, it's funny because it's two extremes. Like, okay, I'll tell you it's three extremes for me. So. What I do know is that I would cry a lot. So my parents would put me in front of, I guess Diana Ross had this special TV special where she would change outfits like 20, 30 times. <laughs> I was obsessed yeah. with that. They were like, to keep you quiet, we would put you in front of that thing and you watch that show hours upon hours, right? Really? So probably in my mind, yes. Mm. And I do remember a little bit of that, yeah. Uh-huh. Like I was obsessed with that. And then the Whitney Houston thing came and then I was like, just the tone of Whitney's voice. Oh, yeah. Um, I was so mesmerized by that. And then when on my own, when I started to really research, and that's when I found Etta James, and I was like, yeah. Like, it doesn't always have to be so beautiful. Like, da 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 It can be a little rough, like, and, yeah. rough and tumble. Yes. Uh, right, 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 right. Yes. Mm. And I was like, okay. Like, that's when I started to really, just for myself, me finding it myself instead of, you know, somebody introducing me to stuff. Like, that was one of the coolest things for me to, for me to find it on my own, right, you know? Right, Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you moved to Portland, Oregon on a track scholarship. Yeah. And we'll get into that area real quick. But uh, then you decide, or maybe it's decided for you by the cosmos, uh, to pursue mm. music instead of athletics. So how did, how did that all come about? Oh, music has always been something I've wanted to do. Like, I was a writer first. My mom has always told journals, like, you need to write. If you're angry, here, write it out, write uh-huh. it out. Like, uh-huh. I was always writing, okay? And then musically, it was something I've always had. Like I, like I said before, like, nobody in my family knew I could sing. And then when I went to Portland State University, I was so sheltered, honestly, um, growing up back home, one of my teammates said, you know what, let's take a break. They have this place that called karaoke. 
And I know you like to sing list because I've heard you sing before. And I was like, really? It's a bar. And we could just go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I was like, let's go. So I think we went at like 8 o'clock, right, at night. Uh-huh. Got there, just looking through a list of songs. And next thing you know it, first song I choose, of course, is like Whitney song, right? So I couldn't stand. I couldn't look in front of everybody. But I was turned on. I was like, oh, my God, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is like, forget school. Forget it all. My life is going to be in these karaoke bars. This is it, right? This was it. And karaoke is my life. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> I felt like this was the place I was going to, like, totally get discovered. Mm-hmm. And this karaoke thing for me became, and I know it sounds funny and no, it's, it's weird just new. Well, it's, a, it's a new way that you discovered yourself. Totally, yeah. <laughs> it was totally new. And I went to that place, not kidding you, from 8 o'clock to 4 in the morning every single day of the week. Ooh, pretty I obsessive, Oh, I was obsessive because I felt like I found my way. And if I do this, then I can start trying to find band members. Or it, it led to that. It led to just me following my, my heart, really, just stepping out. Of course, I, I really didn't finish school like I wanted to finish mm-hmm. at Portland State. I took another path because my parents were like, what? You went to school for a scholarship and you are doing what? Oh no! Oh, like, you! Oh, how did that go when you when you had to sit down and tell them that you've been spending all your nights in a karaoke bar? Um, it clearly did not go well. I, I, they didn't I come. Can't to visit. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> they were like, "Okay, this is your life at this point." Like, yeah, yeah. But I think fast forward like a couple years later, at that point, I think the first time they came to see me sing, actually to see this whole thing, like, okay, so she said she started this band and she's been doing this. So let's see. They were confused, happy, sad, frustrated. Like, like, how come you didn't tell us you do this? Like, they were. How do we not know this huge talent existed under our roof? I, I can see being confused because it's not like you know most kids, especially with a voice like yours, you know, have been honing mm-hmm. this for fifteen, twenty years before they arrive. And and here, mm-hmm. y- you know, you do that, and it's not known to the family. Yeah, it messed them up. But now, <laughs> I mean, now, I mean, it, it's amazing. Like, I'm telling you, I've been through this process. Like, when I tell you I fight tooth and nail, not necessarily to, it's not necessarily for me to, like, become this star or something like that. It's more so the passion to be able for people to hear lyrically what I have to say. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I've been holding all this stuff in for 20 years, right? right. Like, imagine not being able to use it like you want to and then all of a sudden you just explode with like I have so much to say so much to write and you know and I feel like with that I feel like I want to get it out that's why I I push so hard and I'm I'm so passionate I feel like because I just feel like I have so much more to say so much more music to write so many more musicians I love to work with and so on and so on you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, being uh, an athlete, at least a collegiate uh, athlete, y- you probably mm-hmm. have an innate discipline um, that is pretty much required in any kind of sport. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I definitely believe that for sure. And yeah. you probably transpose that into your musical career uh, and just that's how you know life, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. It was such a huge part of my life. You know, um, such a huge discipline in my life that I can't help but that marries probably into my music or live shows or the energy of the shows and stuff. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely. can I, I can feel it in in your music and have seen it in uh, in some of the YouTube videos that I've uh, seen mm-hmm. your performance. So it's there, uh, and and I think that will serve you really well because you know with sports you you learn you know the difference between success and failure and and how to take building blocks and build them on top of each other to you know get to the next level and the next level, knowing that you know you're going to have roadblocks and you just need to you know figure out a way around them and things like that. So you may be better suited for a career in music because of having that early discipline, uh, I would think. But I got to say, so your first karaoke you <laughs> threw down with a Whitney Houston song? <laughs> I did. <laughs> and yeah, I and, did. and I did. was the audience like, oh, <laughs> shit, this girl can sing? Yeah, I I wouldn't turn, look and sing in front of people. I couldn't do that for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah the I performance side myself. of things. Yeah, but the, yeah, the, the, the natural but, voice was there. Yeah, I yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> and what Whitney song was it? I will always love you, of course. <laughs> that oh, one, so you know, Dolly Parton, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. classic, yeah. You know, Whitney yeah. song, like oh, ballady. I'm a ballad person. I love ballads. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. you got a lot of those. So, so by 2006, you conquered Portland. You have a record deal, uh, and you release your first album, Embrace Me. Um, Mm. What did you take away from your first studio experience? Because remember, as we established now, you don't have this innate understanding of music from a child going through the various processes that most singers do before they get that uh, that time. You've now only had what maybe a year or two uh, before you end up uh, in uh, in the studio with a record deal? Prior to that, I honestly had like maybe three or four years honing myself to be confident as a writer and just to trust it, um, starting with a hip-hop band and then morphing into all these other bands. Like the beautiful thing about Portland, Portland really embraced me, meaning like they knew I didn't know what I was doing, but I had super amazing mentors like Linda Hornbuckle, Paul DeLay. Uh-huh. Um, like all these amazing people were behind me and I was watching and I was learning from them. So I, I kind of was taking those experiences and I was finally able in 2006. It was like, okay, you know what? Let me record a record. I think it's time. I think I can do it. And I think for me right now, I think it was one of my best projects because I came at it in a place that I wasn't jaded, meaning I just went into it with, uh, I was pure, yeah. right? So yeah. I let everything out on the table. And I feel like now as a writer, singer, songwriter, and all these things, I'm like, okay, now I'm thinking about all of these elements, like bass guitar, which is great. But sometimes, you know, I just was free, you know? And then 2006, I realized listening to that record now, like, oh my God, you really said from your heart, like, not that I don't, but I just did, you know? Um, you, you, you didn't. So was, you didn't know any better, as you, as you said. You weren't cynical. You weren't. You know. You didn't have years of struggle uh, being in little studios and and that. This was all pure and innocent and first time, right? No, I've had some struggles. I had some studio work that I, again, like singing stuff and singing hooks for people and stuff like that. But when it came to my own project, yeah, no, I had I had no experience, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But I also, but I knew the process. Like, mm-hmm. I just went with my gut, and yeah. I feel like that was the best time for me. I learned a lot, you know, about jumping out there as an independent artist and just jumping because you're so eager to do something and put a record out and not know anything about the business, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that was tough, but really tough for me. But I think that those lessons, clearly I had to learn that. Yeah, it, it taught me a lot about myself as the years went on. It, it really did. But I mm-hmm. love that record. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. So so you now have an album out uh, on the streets and, and you're playing live. And then you make a YouTube video of the, the Rolling Stones song, Give Me Shelter, that has the famous Mary Clayton uh, wail of rape and murder. Um, so yeah. why that song? I, you know, I was drawn to that song um, and immensely. You know, because it's a Rolling Stones tune, and I, I really like the lyrical content. Like, back then, I was really socially um, conscious and aware of what was going on. And when I heard Mary Clayton sing that part, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my wow. God. Yeah. Like, it just pierced me to my core. And I wanted to do it. Like, I wanted to sing it, and I wanted to know what that felt like. You know, and I tried to do my take on it, what you I did. felt. You did. It's very That's different. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I wanted to just try it, and I enjoy singing that song. You know, I love the lyrical content in it. I really do, because it's in your face, you know? Sometimes I like songs like that. You know, it's in your face like that. So it's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's making a point uh, that that needs to be maybe paid attention to again, even though that song is, uh, geez, almost 50 years old now. Right. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. I didn't hear you say that. Yes. So I believe it's that video that catches the attention of, uh, you know, a somewhat famous singer, songwriter, guitarist, Mm -hmm. dancer, actor. Oh, hell, is there anything that he doesn't do that's great? And of course, I'm talking about Prince. So Mm -hmm. how does one get the Willy Wonka ticket uh, from the purple one? Um. 
I was working with a friend of mine. Actually, there was a background singer um, named Marva, Marva King. Um, I believe I saw her when I was in Dallas one time doing a show. And then I saw this woman, but she just stood out. God, her voice is incredible, but just her whole vibe, her whole style just blew me away. But not knowing that she was the background singer for Prince or part of New Power Generation. Uh-huh. So I think maybe a month later, I get a call from a guy that says, Liz, um, Marla said that Prince is with a friend of the background singer, and you should, I think you should send your video. I was thinking, like, what? <laughs> you guys are crazy. Yeah, yeah what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally yeah, with you. <laughs> Prince, yeah, I'm, right? I'm the wrong person <laughs> to be asking that because I would never get that gig, but I really appreciate you trying to, like, uh-huh. tell me I would. <laughs> I should send the video, and then um, unbeknownst to me, they sent it anyway. Oh, like really? they didn't tell me. Oh, really? yeah. Okay. Yeah, they sent it anyway, and they're probably like, "Hey, Liz is crazy. Just send the video." Yeah, <laughs> she'll yeah. think up later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then um, three months later, uh, I get a call. I was in Arizona, getting my hair done, my hat hair, long hair, <laughs> and then. Sitting in the chair, and then I get this call from Prince's assistant saying, Hello, Liz, we got your video, and Prince would like to talk to you from an unknown number, so can we call you back? What? Like that? Just, yeah, just, it's, are these my friends playing a joke on me? It was, yeah, it was. It yeah. felt very random and just like, What? Like, this is not happening. And seriously, he called, and it changed my whole life like i bet yeah yeah i mean i was just like even now like lost for words because i was so shocked and so stunned like okay oh anybody i'll be be available to come to paisley park (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, no problem right right okay so you're summoned to paisley park um (laughs) what was your your first meeting all about um when i walked in the door he greeted me at the door like, um, he was just really sweet. I mean, and like, have you eaten yet? I was like, no, but I don't want to eat. I don't want to touch anything. I don't want to break. <laughs> I do not want to break the I spell. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't want to touch nothing. It's all good. Like, where do I need to go? Whatever you need me to do, I will do. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, typically, I mean, meaning, but we, uh, the first meeting was us just sitting down eating and talking to each other, really. Mm-hmm. And I um, I loved him for that because it wasn't automatically about walk in, let's audition. No, right? it, it was let me get to know me. you. Uh, you know, yes. what, what are you all about uh, sort of thing. Yes. Oh, yes, nice. very much. Yeah, very human. And, um, yeah. Very, which which very. is difficult for a lot of people to think of uh, when you think of Prince. You you don't think of him as just being a regular human. You know, it's just it's just not in the persona that you first recognize. But I've heard over and over and have read many stories that that's basically a common uh, story when people meet Prince is that he's very chill, very mellow, and he's interested in you. Yes, and doesn't have to be. I mean, his light. We clearly know his light is huge, mega, a force, right? Mm. But then he never made anyone feel less than, like, you know what I mean? Like, he was really generous with his light, you know? And never had to be. And I, he's taught me so much. I appreciate, I love him. I love him down. I love him so much for just his love in general, just the person, just him being the person that he was. He knew I didn't have any experience. He knew, he knew that. And he, oh, you I'm know, sure. Yeah. I'm sure oh, he had a, had a full dossier on you <laughs> before oh, you ever got there. <laughs> yeah. To, to a certain extent, like he knew I could sing, but at the same time, it's like, for instance, I was at a rehe- my first rehearsal, I was in LA and, uh, I was singing with Shelby and Marva and, it was cool. I was holding up my background parts down, you know. I was singing pretty and timid. So he kind of looked at me and probably looked at Marla, but I know he said, you know, I can find somebody else to replace you. Like, I can get somebody else in here if you don't sing out. Right. Like, stop being timid, right? So Marla hit me like, girl, this is not the time. <laughs> you better <laughs> sing. Please live. And then I, I can't remember what Spine Family Stone song we were doing, but man, I belted it out so loud. Because he walked away after he told me that. And then I belted it out, and then he stopped, turned around, and he smiled. 
and he was like, okay, there she is. Oh, like, awesome. Yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I appreciate him for pushing us all. Uh-huh. He always did. He found a way. He found mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Um, though he pushed you, it, it seems that he praised uh, just as quickly. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, I felt like I was at Paisley Park University. Like, I was trying <laughs> to right. concentrate, <laughs> concentrate during our shows. Um, but you, sometimes you can't help to get stuck in what you're witnessing. You know, it is a, a phenomenon. Like, it is, it's just truly mind-blowing. Like, I had to concentrate. Like, okay, look, you got to step here. You got to step there, sing this note. You can't just stand here like a fan and watch this man play. <laughs> and no. sing. You still have to. <laughs> it's, it, it's, like an NF, it's like an NFL football team. Uh, everybody oh. has a job to do, and you better yeah. damn well do your job. Otherwise, yeah. the team's not going to win. <laughs> True. Just yes. to keep the sports uh, yeah. metaphors going with you. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, maybe I yeah. should use basketball because I know, you know, Prince being a big basketball fan. Uh, yeah. All, but, uh, yeah. And, and just so you know, I mean, I know you and I and everybody, I hate to even be talking about, uh, you know, Prince in the past tense. It's just, I just don't see that. Uh, you know, the world is smaller without him. Uh, and I'm sure you agree. With yes, that. indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So then you are on tour with the new power generation. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, I think you were a part of that band until uh, he replaced the MPG with the uh, third eye girl, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. How long yes. was that? How many years was that? I started in 2010. Uh-huh. So I think, um, yeah, 2009, 2010. And I think up till. 2013, uh, I think, 2014? 15, yeah, 2014, 2015. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and there must have been just a load of great times uh, out on the road. Oh, absolutely. I am so grateful that I was able to travel the world and play all these shows and see the love of everyone, just to experience it all. You know, Mm -hmm. again, I soaked up so much. It's fantastic. Just every show is different. Nothing was the same. Um, the after shows were fantastic. Um, oh yeah, this is the guy who was known to like he would play and play. All he wanted to do was just play uh, all the time. Yeah, uh, he'd do yeah. a show and then you know two hours later he'd be in some club doing a gig as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it must have just been fantastic. And uh, like I said, probably the you know the most professional show out on the road uh, whenever he would go uh, out there without question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just uh, absolutely amazing. So you then after uh, the MPG, I think that's when you begin to work on your second solo album, right? Yes. Yep. Right after that. So talk talk to us about that, because during that time, I, you credit Prince with helping you define your persona and hone your music. Is that correct? Yeah, I uh, came to him and I said, look, I want to do a record. I'm going to do my another record. And I said, I just want your opinion and tell me what you think. I want to run a couple songs by you to see what you think, right? So at first, you know, he was like, okay, let me see what you got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I have this one song. I have a couple songs, but this one is called Why Do You Lie? You know, he's like, let me see the lyrics first. I was like, all right, cool. So he saw the lyrics and he was like, okay. You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything that it was right away, right? And I was like, okay, I need to do this on my own first. Like, let me put the first song out. Let me just show him, like, my skills. Right, <laughs> I right, got right. It. Without like, him, without it. him. Right, right, right. And so... um, I did Why You Lie, and I think when he heard it, I remember he called me instantly, and he said, okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, what else you got? <laughs> and then after that, um, I started to show him more songs, and we started talking about concepts and what I thought I wanted my album to be. Like, I was really inspired by, like, I'm a huge Cleopatra Jones fan, mm. um, and I love all those old movies. Yeah. And Isaac Hayes, and oh, I, yes. I felt like I wanted it to mimic a, a movie, like if I was playing Cleopatra Jones, like this is what I want my soundtrack to sound like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I made the album in that concept, and then he was like, all right, go with it. You know, where, where do you want to do it? Do you want to record at Paisley, or do you want to record in Portland? And I said, uh, can I record it in Portland? <laughs> <laughs> and most people are probably like, well, you are crazy. 
Yeah. And I'm like, no, I think he understood because I felt like, that was you know, home. my, my that was, home. Yeah, yeah, the comfortability of the streets, uh, you know, in between the sessions uh, would put your head in the right place. Absolutely. And he was like, all right, you know, just send me some stuff or send me when you're half finished or send me when you're finished or or basically he was like, okay, when you're, cause I sent him a couple things and then he had a couple songs for me. He wrote your show on the album, which is definitely reminds me of like Cleopatra Jones movie, mm-hmm. which is oh, it was amazing. And then the title song, the unexpected, which is the title of the album. Yes. I remember he said, well, do you have a name for your album yet? And I said, yes, it's called the unexpected. <laughs> He was like, oh, I like that. And he's like, do you have anything for it yet? Like a song? I got you. Like, just give me, give me a day. Literally, he came back like the next day. With a song. With a song. Uh Called me up on the phone. Didn't say much to me. And put the phone to the speakers. I was like, what is this? Like, oh my God. Like I was blown away. Um, I was speechless. He was, I remember him kind of like laughing in the back. And then he was like, Josh will send you a copy. And then when I got the copy to listen to it, Third Eye Girl's version is called Wow, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, Aren't you know I can't redo this? <laughs> like, this is fantastic. I'm not touching this. Like, man, you are so wrong to send me this. I can't play it like that. And he goes, You know what? You're right. <laughs> and I said, um, Well, I'll tell you what. I said, Let me do my version. Just yeah, let let me kind of like kinda, what you did with Gimme Shelter. Yeah, kind of like that. And I did it, and he was like, "So my version, their version is called Wow on Third Eye Bill's album, and mine is Unexpected." So yeah, and he loved it, and I'm so happy because we performed it maybe five or six times before on the road. That was like so killing. Oh, you, you performed did. it together uh, on the road. Yeah, yeah, with um, Third Eye Girl. Yeah, yeah, it was so fantastic. But yeah, he allowed me to do my record and to produce that record with my band. And, you know, I just let him listen to stuff. And I'm happy he trusted my ear, but he also gave input when it was necessary. But I think he also wanted to allow me to just, your sound is your sound. Like, yeah, you, you, know, you have you know to find you. You, you, have, you know, he, he, <laughs> he can't direct that. Uh, that's not going to yeah. make an artist. That just makes right. a, a copycat. Uh, and no one yeah. needs that. So uh, that's very, very cool. Very cool. So yeah, why the, why the title the unexpected? Um, because there's a little bit of rock and roll. There's a lot. Of, there's R and B. There's. I mean, I didn't want people to feel like they can expect like another Embrace Me record because that wasn't the case. Like mm-hmm. Embrace Me sounds totally different than Unexpected. Right. It's like night and day. Mm-hmm. And so I called it that because I don't want people to try to put me in a box and what my sound is supposed to be like. Um, because people do know me in the R&B world as an R&B singer. Um, but I do do a little bit of rock and roll. Like, um, with yes, one you of do. The tracks that my, but <laughs> yes, you my, do. Uh, Brian Waters wrote Blackbird, you know, totally rock and roll. Um, Why do you lie? Same thing. But then you turn around in the middle, you got another song, Friends Throat, called Your Show. It's this beautiful R&B opus, sexy. Like, it's, I just wanted people to listen to it. It's a body of work, and I am proud of it. So it's musically all things live Warfield. Absolutely. Right, right, right. So now you're out touring the album, and you get a chance to open for Heart at the Hollywood Bowl. Now, this is going to go into a a deeper story here, but were you fans of the uh, Seattle Sisters uh, beforehand? Of course. Like, <laughs> of course. So I'm right. not trying to like date myself in that way. I mean, I don't care, but my songs, like I love ballads. Like for me, what I do know of them and what I've heard of the songs for them were like, um, what about us? What about yeah, Diane Warren's songs? Things, yeah. like, mm-hmm. Those ballads and stuff I already knew from them. Mm-hmm. So I was already a fan back then when I was younger. And then when I got introduced to them and I started to know Nancy a little bit more. I started to dig deeper into their catalog. I was like, good God. Like, just when Nancy would play me some of the live stuff that they did back in the day, I can't remember Uh um, which show they were at, but I was just uh, blown away. So, yeah. so And as a powerhouse vocal, uh, there's no two ways about that. Yeah. Yeah. So then you and Nancy, like, become best friends uh and that leads to a combined band called road case royale right yes road case royale yes 
it was so crazy. I remember at that heart show, I had a lovely chance to open up for them. I was like, I got to meet one of them. I have to. So Nancy was just hanging back. And then I was like, you know, I have this song, which I'll later talk about, mantra, of course. I said, well, I have this song. I'm writing. I just want you, you know, just please, could you tell me what you think? And like, um, she was like, oh my God, absolutely. But first, let's just not say we're going to talk. Like, let's meet up sometime and have like lunch. Like, you know, and she's like, really, let's just not say we're going to not do that. We're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I actually kept up with her. And then when I was in LA, I was like, hey, Nancy, (laughs) do you still want to do lunch? And we did lunch. And I'm telling you, it was like, we just hit it off. And she was like, oh, man, do you want to like start a band? I was like, really? <laughs> With Nancy like, Wilson? No. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How can life get much better? Right, right. Yeah. First right. Prince, now Nancy Wilson. Wow, you you have oh, uh, some some big-time mentors and uh, proponents out there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really just super, super grateful. Like, both Ryan and I are. Ryan Waters, my brother, he's out playing with them now on tour. Oh, with the new reformed heart. They've kind of buried the hatchet again and uh, are back on the road, right? Yep, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so, so now, did they see you on Jimmy Kimmel first, or did that come later? They saw me on Jimmy Fallon first. Oh, Jimmy Fallon, um, okay. Yeah, yes, I'm sorry, it was Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon with Why Do I Lie? Why Do You Lie? Yes, right? yep. Mm-hmm. With all the horn um, players. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, a f- yep. fantastic performance. Uh, Diggers, uh, if you want to know the first thing about Liv, go watch that video. Uh, just just oh, put Why Do You Lie uh, with Jimmy Fallon, and uh, you'll see why we're talking to Liv today. So yeah. uh, so they saw that first, right? And that's kind of, yeah. is that kind of what got you the Hollywood Bowl gig? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think, as I was told, they said they saw it, and I think they were looking for an opener at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and that's how I got, yeah, the Hollywood Bowl gig. And so I had the chance to open up for them, and it's fantastic. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is Road Case Royale still a thing, or was it just like a, a one and done? Uh, or you guys might come back to it. I don't think it's a one and done thing. I think we might come back to it. I think it's just scheduling. Yeah. I do think at this point, there's a lot of us that do a lot of different things oh, in the yeah. band, like Dan and Ben and Chris mm-hmm. and Ryan too. I think, and clearly Nancy, the boss. I think it's just timing. You know, I really do. It'd be cool to do another one, but. I'm sure it'll come back around at some point. Oh, we'll keep an ear out for that. So, All right, so after The Unexpected uh, was out and uh, you were out touring it, you and Prince yeah. were talking about the next album. So I got to ask, where were you on April 21st, 2016, when the terrible news was released that uh, mm-hmm. Prince had suddenly passed home. away? I was at home. And did somebody just give you a call, or did you see it on um, the news? Or Yeah, we can't talk about that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. It's a little too tough. I get it. I get it. I get it. So it must have taken you a long spell to kind of regroup and figure your musical path going forward, right? Yeah, it was tough. It took me a minute to get out of it, to get out of the funk of it all. Yeah. I was already kind of having a tough time already, and this is before all of that. Mm-hmm. But I knew that when I was working on this project and writing new music, I was like, at least I was writing, I was staying creative. For me, as long as I'm staying creative. And I think when all of that happened, it's just kind of like, we're... One, one more thing that you just didn't need in your life at that time. Absolutely. It broke me. But I know one thing is that I needed to always stay busy. I needed to stay creative. I just needed to keep writing. I just needed to keep keep going, whatever it was, finish writing that song that, you know, I was working on. Um, I finally did at the Iridium, which is now Mantra, which people hear now and yeah. that I've just now put out. That was such a work in progress. And that song took four years, seriously, four years to finish. And I've waited patiently on it. Because when I knew it was right, it was going to be right. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew Prince heard it the first time because I played it at the Iridium in its like infant stage. Like, okay, guys, let's try it. Let's try it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then um, somebody took a video of it, and I think he tweeted something like, "Oh my God, kind of like this is basically like this is it." Like, and that felt really good because really that was probably the last time I really had any just conversation about music the musicality of things with him, you know, and I, mm-hmm. it felt good, but for that song, Mantra, 
it was something that I felt like I needed to finish above all things. Like I've been writing music and I've been doing a lot right now, but I felt like I needed to finish that song as a foundation for me. Um, because then I'm like, okay, I, I'm good. I can move forward because it's, it's a heavy song, but it's beautiful. To me, it's like this beautiful rock opus, but has these elements of like soul and it's got peaks and valleys and ups and downs and just ev- like the struggle of everything that I've been going through. But at the same time, it's really beautiful. Yeah. It's like um, a, a little four minute symphony. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. 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 It took you four years to hone and work on that song and complete it, huh? Yeah, it did. It really did. Like, I um, I, I had to get the right elements. Like, Ryan Waters, again, killer, wrote just, Ryan is a beast, mm-hmm. um, wrote a lot of the, the guitar and bass, and there's Marlon Patton, and then there's Robbie. I went to Atlanta to actually record the, the core of it, just bass, drums, guitar. And even that, it sounds fantastic without all these 45 piece strings. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh, it's a 45 piece uh, orchestra, strings orchestra, huh? Yes. And, and that took a minute too. And I said, well, the song sounds amazing, but I feel like something was missing. Mm-hmm. And I, it was like two years later, uh, I did a benefit um, for the children's hospital in Seattle and um, conductor Matteo Messina was like, is there any songs that you would like to do? Or you feel like, you know, something original? And I was like, yes, do. <laughs> And then um, I gave him a couple songs, and he said he was really drawn towards mantra. And then when I heard it, what he came up with, I was in tears. Like, I just was like, oh, my God, you spoke to every sentiment. You spoke to everything. And so Matteo Messina was just really kind enough to write it, and I was able to keep it and use it for the song. And, again, it worked out beautifully. Like, I could have been in a rush for the song and just put it out fast because it was great then, but I feel like now it's I've never felt so. So um, your in, your intuition was telling you, no, there's it's not quite baked. There's something, and and you waited until it was complete, and, and you just knew it in your heart when it was done. Yeah, yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. it's a big song, and you know what? It made me think that you know you you should get to sing the next James Bond theme. Oh my gosh! Oh. That's so cool. I would love to do that. I've been trying to push that song to go into James Bond. <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it, that's what it reminded me. When I first heard it, I was like, wow, oh, it sounds like a song that should be the opening of a James Bond movie. Uh, oh, that would be cool. great. You know, maybe lyrically not quite, but depending on right, the movie right. and everything. But the, the whole big feel of it had that uh, big Goldfinger uh, sound to it or something. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's oh okay. I'm on to something here. All right. Well, maybe yeah. somebody's listening and they'll give you a call. Maybe, maybe the Broccoli yeah. the broccoli family uh, yes. with the new James Bond movie should give you a ring, huh? Please. Please, I am <laughs> yeah. available. I am available. You will, you will make the time available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah, be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, you, you've got another single that's uh, coming up, uh, and it's very different, uh, called Look at Me. Uh, which I got to yes. hear a preview of, and, and I believe that drops on October 22nd. So uh, yes. tell us about that song. So this song, I really just wanted to have fun with something. I didn't want to just always be so serious, and I think it can play to everybody's feelings, everybody's posting, everybody's on Instagram, everybody's socialed out, and it's kind of just having fun with, like, you know, look at me do this, and it's not even so much as that. It's all It's the good thing, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted for people to just be able to have fun with it and not think about it and just to have a little bit. It kind of reminds me of like if Tina Turner would just took something and just, I don't know, wild out on it. And I also did this with the producers, uh, June Moon, who I'm doing a record with for next year. The album comes out next year. So now, I was going to ask like, about that. So the album comes out next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, the, the album doesn't sound anything like this, but I believe this was like our meeting point of like, man, let's do something. But I want to do something really fun. I, I want to do something that just, you know, people could dance to and just have a good time with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you you accomplished that with that song. Oh, good. <laughs> so that does come out on October 22nd. Yes, October 22nd. Okay. Is yeah. there a date for the uh, the new album? Is there a name for the new album? Um, we June Moon hasn't finished the date. I think it's going to be in between like April or May for this June Moon album. And then my live album will be coming out around March. So it's kind of like 
double situation. Like I'm I'm recording live at the Apollo Theater, my live album there. Oh, when is that? That will be in March. In March of 2020. So when are you recording it? March 2020. Live. Oh, March March 2020 is when when you're going to record at the Apollo. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Hollow yes. ground. Yes, I know. Are you, you going to be able to keep the butterflies all down? No. Uh, oh, have you have you played the Apollo before? I have. I oh, have, okay, I okay, love, okay, okay. Absolutely love that place. I really, really, really love it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that they're giving me the opportunity to do that. I've always wanted to do that. So yeah, it's crazy. I'm just excited about that and the June Moon project. It, well, it's a two different worlds, but it's going to be really, really cool. I think people are really going to like it. It's definitely shown growth on my end. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I see big things in 2020 for you. So. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> let me let me let me ask just because you, you you now have like 15 years experience in the music business, and you and you've kind of got an unusual story because as we've established, you know, you didn't grow up preparing for this this just kind of happened uh you know when you are in college and you go to a karaoke bar and one thing leads to another after that but what is different is that you started out in portland i asked because you're actually you started your career at perhaps the nadir in the recording industry and now there appears to be a bit of a comeback you know are you seeing that what what was your experience you know starting in i think 2003 2004 and that you know that's pretty much the beginning of the decimation of the the recording industry uh and now things seem to be coming back a little bit are are you seeing that as well um you're saying to me what's coming back in 2003 like you're saying the recording industry yeah, is the, yeah the recording industry you know fell on hard times uh Sure. Uh, you yeah, know, it, yeah. it, it was the canary in the coal mine of disruption. Uh, you know, obviously, the price of music dropped to sure. pretty much zero. Uh, you know, there's still right. issues uh, with, uh, you know, recordings being now more the PR side and the tour being more the, the money side, uh, which is a complete right. flip to prior right. to that. Um, right. You know, and so now with 15 years experience and especially starting mm. from when it was probably the toughest time uh, to, to make it in the music business to now, uh, you know, have you noticed a difference? I'm asking from a historical standpoint and uh, a personal one because you were there. Without question, it's changed. It's done a total flip. I feel like now we're at a place to the, how should I say, the hustle is different. So, so oh. me going out, putting up flyers on telephone poles and stuff that I would do for my own shows. Right. The hustle is now turned into posting on Instagram. Social media. That's like right. equivalent, yeah. right? That's uh-huh. the equivalency now. Um, doing the shows, trying to pack these venues out. You know what I mean? It's really, really hard because you have Live Nation and all these other places that have bought up all these venues and they've already secured spots for artists that are bigger names, Right. So in that way, it is difficult, but the beauty of it is that there's a lot of space for all these independent artists. There's no reason, and I have to tell myself this too, is there's no reason that you can't make a space or make a way for yourself at this point. As long as you have the discipline to go out there and work it. That's the key. That's it right there. As long as you have the discipline. You can make it what you want. You really can, and I believe that, and I've seen really close friends of mine, they were just consistent about, you know, posting and that works for them. Sometimes that probably doesn't work for me. I'm not, I'm terrible at social media. And, you know, you go to these record labels and they're like, okay, they could care less about the music. The only thing they care about, okay, so what are your social media numbers? Right. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the music. What are you talking about? Right. Is it, wait a minute, isn't that your job uh, to to handle all of that while I focus on the music? Uh, One would think. Exactly. And I feel like gone are those times are the um, A&Rs or the artist development. Mm -hmm. Like artist development is now you. You do whatever you want in this time. So I think it's just a matter of being clever and finding yourself, but also staying as authentic as hell as you can be. Because you can easily fall into the trap of trying to be like somebody else or trying to do it their way. Uh-huh. Whereas you have to be confident and know that what you have is good. You're all right. You know, be innovative. Set your own stage. Like, really, really take the time to, like, hone your craft and believe in that. 
you know, and, and not try to follow what everybody else is doing because hell, it's hard. I mean, but the streaming has made it easier. There's a lot of distribution companies. There's a lot of licensing companies. So that makes it a little easier, I think. I don't think everybody's running to go to a major label anymore like they used to. Yeah. But yeah, so times have totally changed. I guess you just have to find what, what really works for you, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of options <laughs> out there. There are well, you definitely are one of a kind, very authentic. Uh, it comes through in everything you do. Uh, and like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, Liv Warfield in 2020, maybe even a James Bond theme. Um, maybe. So just, to, just to throw that out one more time for you here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, we here at Deeper Digs of Rock, we, we can't wait to see what you have in store for all of us here at Liv Warfield. Oh, bless. Thanks so much for spending time with us here. Thank you so much. Oh, it's awesome. I really appreciate you having me. I've had a blast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liv Warfield. What an interesting woman. What an amazing voice. Go out and grab the newest singles, Mantra, uh, out now. And Look at Me, set to drop on October 22nd. Expect the full album in 2020. So, at the top, I told y'all to go catch Liv on some of those old cultural signifier shows back in the day. I'm talking Letterman, Arsenio, Kimmel, Fallon, etc. And back in the day, I'm saying only a few years ago. Look, I didn't know who Liv Warfield was until I was asked to do this interview. So I did what I just told you guys to do. I went down the rabbit hole and came away wondering why is this lady not already a big giant star? It's obvious in those performances. Plus, she's doing something, well, who am I to do better than Prince? He coined it. She's doing something unexpected. Yeah, she's a a bit of Etta James, her personal hero, and other big, powerful women of rock and soul's past who literally blew your hair back when they belted out the tunes. This woman says star all over her. And I know that if she did live in a previous era, there is no doubt she'd be the talk of the town. There is a reason she was on all those shows a few years ago, and those shows used to be a way to be introduced to someone of her talent. It's like, you know, the comic who was called over to Carson's couch. You knew you made it at that point. I guess it's not like that anymore. And and I don't mean to lament a, a bygone era, but I wonder how we are going to elevate those who really deserve it musically. Maybe these new recordings uh, will create a breakthrough for her. Maybe uh, what she needs is what worked so well for Mr. Brown back in 1961, a Live at the Apollo album. Maybe in 2020, she will get the recognition I think she deserves. And I'll be set straight that this massive talent uh, will win out in the end. Um, I hope so for Liv. And I hope so for those like her that were given this special gift. Just wondering is all. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Next up, we have personal friend and a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, Ty Listen of the podcast, The Band, A History. It's uh, the first of me introducing uh, to you diggers some of our newer shows. Ah, you know, it's the neighborly thing to do. Ty is a filmmaker first and podcaster second, but he has poured his heart and soul into making this limited series about the godfathers of Americana. It's a fun and informative show, uh, not too dissimilar uh, to our Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast. So come on back for that one. 
Until then, like always, keep up the rocking. Could it be with the eyes I see of the price I'm gonna pay to move on? Why the river's deep, I'll swim to shore. Why I stand Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology.